If I were to uh, start my sermon today talking to you about whether or not you are hungry for lunch, and I just talked about food, and I even went long, and the whole time my whole point of the sermon was, you should be hungry, you should really be hungry. What would you think? Okay, I'm hungry. I was already hungry, Jay. You didn't need to say that, and now you've only made it worse because I already came in here absolutely famished. But uh, here I am today. I'm preaching something which, I mean, for some of you, you may tell me later, you know, Jay, you didn't need to preach that because I was already hungry. We're looking at these words from Paul in 2 Timothy where he talks about loving Christ's appearing. And that is to be the cry of our heart. For the Christian, that's, that is to motivate our living. That is to be the, the sweet dream that we have, that wish, that hope, that consolation, just, just that constant heartbeat should be the longing for his appearing. So I, in one sense, I shouldn't even have to say, hey, you should long for that. You, you should be sitting there going, well, duh, yeah, of course, I've been thinking that the whole morning. Chances are you weren't. Chances are you haven't been, been, been thinking that. So uh, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this. For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about the return of Christ. That is not enough time to tell you everything there is to know about the return of Christ. I can't say that I know the perfect answer to every question that you might even raise. But it's enough to kind of get some pegs to hang our thoughts on. Some, some core basic understandings about the return of Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Here's our big idea today. Believers should long for Christ's return. That's where we are going to be today. We're going to see why this is so, why it might not be the case when it should, and maybe what we ought to do about that. In preparation for this, I... I bought this book here. Little, no, it's not in the bookstore. Uh, our, our, we have a little bookstore, you know. Don't have it there yet. Uh, but it's John Piper's book, Come Lord Jesus. And so I just thought I would give credit ooh, where credit is due. It was, it was good grist, you know, for the mill. It was, it was good. It, it gave me some thoughts. I, I didn't just take it and decide to regurgitate it. Um, if I'm quoting Piper, I will tell you, if, if I plagiarize Piper, it's unintentional. Uh, it's just from reading it and getting it into my brain. So that's my disclaimer right from the very get-go. Okay, let's look at this. Good reasons. There are good reasons we should long for his return. Why should we long for his return? How about, first of all, because the Bible teaches us to do that? I think that's always ground zero. That's always the best reason. In fact, if the Bible doesn't give it as a reason, why would, why, why would we give it? But yeah, when we look at the words of Paul here, it's at the end of his life. He's writing 2 Timothy. It's his last letter from Roman imprisonment there. And he's talking about being poured out as a drink offering, meaning he's going to die. His blood is going to spill the ground. He sees that coming. And he says, but there's a crown of righteousness that's been laid up for me. And you're like, well, yeah, because, because you're an apostle. Apostles get crowns of righteousness, right? He says, yeah, but not just for me, but for all those who have longed for his appearing. Now, you might read that and say, well, longed for his appearing. That's kind of past tense. So maybe he's talking about something past that is his first appearing. 
But no, in the context, what he's talking about, he's talking about those that have been living their Christian life there uh, as he has been, and their whole Christian experience has been one of having longed for the Lord's appearing. That is to mark the believer. And we could go to many different passages. The very end of the book, Revelation, ends with, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You look at uh, 1 Peter, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that living hope is not just eternal life. It's not just our own resurrection. But it's in, when you see this in context, it is the coming of Christ himself. And the fulfillment of our salvation. We could look at passages like Philippians 3.20 or Titus 2.10. If you want to write those down, look at them later. But um, it, it is the teaching of the New Testament. So before we pass go and collect $200, we just need to see that this is the call of the Christian life. That we are to have our hearts set on Christ. We are to love and long for his appearing. Another good reason for wanting that is because that is our greatest good. That is our greatest good. When the Lord returns, whether we are alive or dead, we will be changed. Our bodies will be raised in glory. We will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. Death will be over for us. There will be no more tears, temptations, sin itself. Everything will be made new. All of those things will pass away. The full realization of eternal life The fulfillment of our salvation will be at hand. The psalmist says this, and this is, of course, Old Testament, but it's looking at the very heart of the matter that we're talking about today. He says, you make known to me the path of life, which, of course, is the gospel through Christ. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Do you hear the longing there? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we think about this, uh, this salvation, this coming salvation, which is the fulfillment of our salvation, when we think about that, I think we a lot of times just tend to think about very practical things like, well, at least my back won't hurt, or whatever, you know, whatever you know, minor thing it is that, that we are dealing with, and maybe it's not minor. But the truth of the matter is the core of why that's going to be so good is it's because we're going to have Jesus. We're, we're going to see him. We're going we're gonna to be in his presence with the Lord. That will be the greatest reward possible, the greatest one imaginable. The Christian life is a good life in many respects. Now, with it come temptations, and with it come persecution, and in this world we know we will face tribulation. But there's so much about walking with Christ right now that is beautiful and good. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Yes, walking with Christ today is good. But when you think about what it will mean when he comes, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I can't express it because I haven't been there yet myself, but I think it'll be like the difference between, have you ever been in an old car? Now you have to say old car nowadays. Where you, People my age are like, really? Yeah, I guess it's true. When you were looking for a station, especially like on the AM, that whole thing. You know, and you're like, you're, you're, oh, I think there's some music there because you're just, you're here, hearing something that sounds like music. That's like now. When we see Jesus, it's going to be like front and center in, in, in the most beautiful auditorium with the world's best orchestra playing, you know, just the, the greatest symphony right during the overture. It's going to be that kind of difference. It's going to be like, okay, you can get shocked on the, on the door handle in the middle of winter, 
but this will be like getting hit by a lightning bolt. The difference between the two are just astronomically far apart. Do you remember when the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus in, in John 2020, which I love because 2020 vision, right? Perfect vision. In John 2020, it says that when they saw the Lord, that they had joy. That they felt joy when they saw the Lord. And that is what we are told to look forward to. That is to become our heart cry. That should drive us. The fact that we're not there all the time is another question which we'll get to, but that we, we see it. That will be our highest and best joy. And then to go with that, the third, third reason is because this will be to his glory. This will be to his glory. And we want his glory, amen? That should drive us. Paul says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints... And to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So what is Paul saying there? He's saying because you heard the gospel and you believed, therefore when Christ comes, he will be glorified in his saints. He's going to be glorified in the redeemed. We will be in that day the the, the very praise of Christ. As we stand there, as this, this sea of redeemed before him from, from the beginning of time until, until he comes, there will be all of these, these redeemed and they will be giving him glory. And it's going to be like the, the best feedback. Has there ever been a good feedback loop, Carl? You know, like when you get with, when you're on the soundboard, is there ever a good, never is. This is going to be a good one. The first really good one. Because he'll be there and we'll be like glorifying him. And because he's receiving glory, in what he's done in us, it will, it will increase his glory to us and we will be marveling at him and he will be the more glorified. I don't know how you endure a feedback loop like that. Seems like you would explode. That's why we need new bodies. I think that's why we need new bodies is we can't go there the way we are and experience that. We would just go poof and that'd be it. That'd be all there was. I don't think there's anything really brand new in any of this except that when we hear it, how many feel like you're falling short of having that love for his appearing that you, that you should have? Two of you, okay. Three of you. I don't think I have the love for Christ's return that I ought to have. And I'm going to give you three reasons why that might be so. First of all, because you're in love with the world. We may feel that way because we're too in love with this world. I'm indebted to Piper on this one for sure. I never saw this connection before, or if I did, I'd forgotten it. But... You know, we read that portion of, of uh, 2 Timothy 4, 8, where Paul talks about his love for Christ's appearing. And he uses that, that word love, and he's talking about that which is coming in the age to come. And then two verses later, he says this. Now you'll see the contrast. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. So do you see the contrast there? Did that, did that jump out at you without knowing the Greek? It still jumped out at you? Because Paul is saying, look, you know, here's where we ought to be. Paul's saying, here's my heart. I long to see his appearing. And he was very close to seeing Christ appearing, for, right? He was very, very near that, that moment, and he longed for it. He loved it. He loved the thought. And that's the Greek word that's used there. It's the word for love, which you've heard, you know, agapao. So that's his desire. But then he says, look at this other guy, Demas, one of my close associates. We read about him elsewhere in the New Testament. He was a close associate of Paul's. But he, he, he's too much in love with the world. 
He loves the world so much that he deserted Paul. And the implication is that he had deserted Christ. He scratched together whatever was left of his paltry life. He's been dead for 1,900 and some years. I couldn't give you the exact date, but it's a bunch, close to 2,000 years. But whatever he had left, he loved that more than he loved Christ and Christ's appearing. By the way, loving the world is not the same thing as taking joy in the gifts that God has given you, and we have to distinguish between those things. It is not wrong to rejoice and be glad in that which Christ, which the Father gives us in his name. We, we, Jesus taught us to pray that the, give us this day our daily bread. So we, we look to God. We depend upon God. He says, seek first his kingdom. These things will be added to you. So it's not that these things that are in themselves bad. It is, it is where our heart is. It's where our treasure is. What matters to us when it, when it comes down to the choice? Do I, do I stay with Paul? Do I, do I stay a, a follower of the gospel? Or do I try to scratch out the last little bit of this life and whatever juice I can wring out of it? Brothers and sisters, whatever you have today from the Lord is a gift. You're a steward of those gifts. The trick is this. When God gives you good gifts, okay, and I, I've used this illustration many times from the pulpit, so some of you are going, I know where he's going with this. But you just think of it this way. Like God puts that in your hand, and he goes, okay, you're a steward of this. I've given you your daily bread. I've given you this provision, whatever. You steward that. It's not yours, per se. I've loaned that to you. That's yours for now. If tomorrow God comes and he takes it out of our hand, we say, blessed is the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. That's life. But, but see, when he gives us gifts and we do this with it, and we say, God, I'm never going to be happy again if you try to take that from me. Because there's nothing more important than this thing that you have given me, and, and, and if you try to take that away from me, I will curse your name. If we treasure the gift more than the giver, that's where the problem lies. But that's what happened to Demas, and that can happen... To, to anyone that, that, that names the name of Christ, if we, if we are not careful, 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 we can get caught up in loving the things of the world. Secondly, we can get caught up in the cares of this world. And you say, well, what's the difference? In the parable of the seed falling on the different kind of soils, you had the seed that fell among the weeds and the thorns and the thistles, and they grew up and they strangled it out. And you may remember that those were called the cares of the world. Now, maybe love of the world and cares of the world sound like the same thing, and I think they kind of are in one sense, but there is a distinction, which I want us to consider here for a moment. Here's the words. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enters and it in and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. So that's a picture of a person who makes a profession of faith, receives the gospel, but then it's choked out. Cares here. Cares can be translated worry or anxiety. So this isn't necessarily a picture of somebody who's made it and they've got plenty of money and they're not worried about anything and they're just living the high life and that kind of thing. It's not that kind of picture. A poor person can be caught up in the cares of the world because what this is is it's, it's like I need this stuff to be happy and I don't have enough stuff yet to be happy, or I just barely have enough stuff to be happy, and if I've just barely got enough stuff to be happy, then what if tomorrow God takes the stuff, 
oh, I wouldn't be happy then. How do I keep my stuff? And do and you see where this is going? It's sort of uh, yeah, the suffocation of, uh, of your Christian life. Uh, you just, you get so caught up, you're so wrapped up, worried about everything. It's like the old song by Tennessee Ernest Ford, uh, Ford, Ernie Ford that, you know, 16 tons, you remember that one? What does he say? St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I owe my soul. It's so caught up. I'm, I'm caught up in the cares of the world. Again, don't hear this wrongly. Uh, taking care of your family is, is not a luxury. It's an obligation. There, there's nothing wrong with being diligent and being a good provider and this sort of thing. But, but making stuff an idol is where it becomes a problem. Letting our lives be ruled by worry about keeping things that God has already seen fit to grant us in the first place. It's just a dead end. It does not promote a love for Christ, and, and it dulls that hope. Because we're so, which, how, do I, how do I keep it right here? And the whole time God's going, look, set your heart and your eyes on Christ, who will come, love his appearing. Third reason we don't love his appearing is probably because we have too little fellowship. Too little fellowship. Look with me at a, a familiar passage of Scripture, which I quote frequently. It really speaks to the need for the church in general, but I want you to connect it now with this, this picture of Christ coming. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now unpack that for a moment. <laughs> How does the church, the assembling of ourselves together, the not giving up assembling ourselves together, the encouraging of one another, how does that relate to the longing of his, for his coming? Well, what does it say there? It says that the day is drawing near, that we're, that we're to, to seek the fellowship and need the fellowship all the more because the day is drawing near. We need fellowship. We need the one another. Because without one another, we become tunnel-visioned and those, those cares of the world start creeping around and that becomes our obsession because we don't have the voices of those around us. You see, if, if I'm caught up in this world and those, those weeds are growing up around me, I need you to come along and say to me, Jay, Jay, let's open the Word of God together. Let's go sing sweet songs of worship to the Lord. Let's dwell on him. Let's confess our sins. Let's take the Lord's table together. Come out of there, Jay. Come on, you need to, you need to get your, your mind and your heart set on what's good and what's right. I need that, and you need that. In the fellowship of the church, we are meeting with the saints. And I think, uh, I think Piper mentions this in his book, quoting C.S. Lewis, but it's an incredible and uncanny thing, Lewis points that out, that we're sharing pew space. <laughs> I know these aren't pews, but you get the idea. That we're sharing seating with the saints on Sunday morning. The people that are sitting around you, those who truly know Christ, they're going to be with you on that day when he comes. When he comes to be glorified in his saints, we're it. Not all of it. Grace Community Church, just a little tiny fraction of it. 
But, but, that's, but, but, but we will be there together with the Lord. We will be sharing that space forever. We will be part of what Hebrews 12 calls the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We need each other. We're going to be with each other forever. You know, we have the Father who prunes us when we bear fruit. It says that the Father prunes us and we bear more fruit. We need that. We also need brothers and sisters with machetes. We really do. Because there we are in this world getting fixated, getting tunnel vision. And we need brothers and sisters who spiritually come alongside of us with their spiritual machetes. They probably don't show it. They don't brandish it. They're carrying it behind their back. Christian walks up to you like this. This is what's happening. Uh, Spiritually, it's just a metaphor. Don't bring machetes to church next week. But but we need you to come along and say, here, you've got something on you. Quack, 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 quack. Now, come with me. You know, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let go of this. Let go of these worries. Why are you caught up in that? Why are you caught up in this? Come, worship the Lord with me. We need that. Churches need more machete-wielding men and women of God who will pull the sleepers up out of their sleep and say to them, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Let Christ shine his light on you. We need that kind of one another. We, and, and, you know, I know exactly how we feel because I've heard it. I've heard my own heart say it. But we all feel like, um, oh, I dare not say to somebody, Hey, I miss you in church. I, I dare not say that. If I say that, they'll feel guilty or they'll feel like I've, I'm putting my finger on them and I'm pointing my finger and judging them or something like that. Do you see how this is an act of love? If a person's being choked by the cares of the world and you get out your machete and you come on a little strong, what's the worst that can happen? That they break free? And that they see what they need and, the, and they're drawn back into the, into the fellowship of the Lord. We need we need to be that to one another. And if you're, not, if you're not seeking the Lord, it may just be that you've cut yourself off too much from the people of God. Well, there are ways to start longing for his return. Some applications here. First of all, harness discontent. Harness discontent. We think of discontent as a bad thing. And in one sense it is. If we're discontented with what the Lord has done in our life. And, you know, contentment with godliness is great gain. But there is a way of a little spiritual jujitsu or whatever you want to say where, where we can take the force of, of our discontent and turn it around and wrap it around into looking toward Christ. Are you happy in your marriage? Don't, don't, no, please don't raise your hand or, or otherwise. But if you're not, uh, you're not the only Christian who's ever felt that. I would venture to say that if anybody's been married for very long, at least at some point, if not now, they're there was discontentment. But you know, when you are discontented in something even like that, you can, you can remind yourself, there is a bridegroom who is coming for his bride. And he, is, he has purchased her with his precious blood so that he might present her spotless and unblemished. And that's us. So whatever, by the way, don't say to your spouse, you know, thank you for all your massive imperfections and, and all the disappointments you've brought to my life because it makes me want to die and go to heaven. <laughs> don't say that. 
That would be, that wouldn't, that would not be a good thing. I'm just saying, whatever, whatever it is, maybe it's just, you know, you're, you're, you're aching, you've got pain, uh, your body's complaining about this, that, you're going to get a new body on that day when Christ comes, you're going to be resurrected and have a body of glory like his body of glory, it says. If you're losing things, if you're, if you're my age, you're losing stuff. I de- and I don't just mean forgetting where you put it. I mean things are just falling off and things are, they stop working. Uh, there's just, you know, and as you get older and there's, you just, it's like, okay, less options, fewer things, uh, more things I can't do. And you start to regret that. I, and it's, you, you get old, you can't help but start regretting, oh, I remember when I could do this or I remember we could do that. And you know what? At least... At least those things are there to remind us that, that though we may have few days left on this earth, in this age, in this present age that Demas loved so much, there is an age to come when Christ returns with endless years in front of us. Amen? Whatever we think we've lost, eh, it'll all be restored. There's nothing worth comparing to, the, to what we will have on that, that day. Next, uh, resist the lie. Resist the lie. In the garden, uh, the serpent lied. Um, he, uh, he deceived Adam and Eve. He's called the deceiver. He's called the father of lies. He came alongside of them and he said, hey, wait a second, you want happiness? Do you want to be, ha- Do you want to be happy? Well, I hadn't really said that. Oh, yes, but you want to be happy, right? Well, you see that, tr- that, that fruit over there that God said you couldn't eat from? You know what? God is not a good God. He didn't say quite the, the this was the implication. God's not really a good God. He doesn't want your good. You eat that. He knows you're going to have God-like powers at that point. He's just trying to keep that from you. Happiness is eating and doing the thing that God has told you not to do. And that lie continues down to this very day. Demas was sucked in by that lie. Somehow, someone that had been with Paul and seen the glory of the gospel was yet tempted to believe that there was something worth holding on to for those brief number of years back in the first century AD that was worth setting against all of eternity. He believed a lie. Simon Magus believed a lie. The devil wants us to believe that there are all of these good things out there, but you're missing them because you follow this stupid religious tradition called Christianity or whatever. You know, yeah, you're just a sucker. You're a dummy. Because way far away, out in the far country, there's this beautiful meadow. And there's a carnival. They call it Vanity Fair. And it's got all of these rides and amusements. And, and you will be so happy if you would just leave and just worship me. You know, if you just do that and worship me, you'll be happy. And we, and we get sucked in. Instead of longing for Christ, we're like the prodigal in the far country. Even if we've, you know, that's the thing. The prodigal was starting to realize things weren't so good. But he was trying to rationalize. Well, I can make something work. I could eat some of this swill that I've put in the trough for the pigs. That could work for me. Until he came to his senses. Until until he remembered that in his father's house, even the servants were happy. Even the servants were content. What I'm suggesting here is that we arm ourselves against the lie. We arm ourselves against the lie. You say, well, isn't there something in the Bible about armor? Yes, there is. We need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take that. It's an offensive weapon. We use it against the lie. We think about the belt of truth. 
We lay hold of the truth. We deny the lie. Kill the lie. We talk about killing sin. That's, that's a common expression that I hear uh, people using again uh, all the way back from the Puritans. But it's a good, it's a good saying. We should, we should be about killing sin. While we're killing sin, we should be killing the lie. Ruthlessly. When, that, when those, those lies will come to your heart, take on the mind of Christ. And when the lie comes, resist it. Stand against it. Bring the word of God against it. Bring the truth against it. And then look to Jesus. See, for us to really want to see Jesus, we have to have the eyes of faith to do so. And that's something you have to cultivate. That is something that, that of course, is given to us in our second birth, that desire to see Christ. I believe that. But at the same time, it is something that needs to be nurtured. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, there's the saints again, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we going to do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set Christ before your mind's eye. Fall in love with him all over again. Be like Jacob. We were talking about that this week in the office about Jacob and how he wrestled with the angel and how he said to the angel, you know, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. I think there's a place for that kind of heart for the Christian when we, when we pray. Lord, I, I don't want to leave your presence in worship with the people of God today or in my time alone with you in prayer. I don't want to leave, but that I see you, that I really, that my heart sees you with the eyes of faith and takes in how radically and wonderfully good you are and how much I ought to love you. And Lord, where I don't love, I'm like Peter. You know I love you. <laughs> yeah, but, but I want to love you more. That's the dirty little secret. I, I say I love you. I know I, I need to love you more. Help me, Lord. You know, when I was a boy, uh, the person I loved most in all the world was my mom. Big shock there, right? How many would, well, I won't, I won't ask for a show of hands, but most of us who were sons probably felt that way. And uh, as much as I loved her, I can remember in the summer, summers were glorious, do you remember summer that way? Back when kids played outside? None of that. Didn't have it. Um, but I can remember be, you know, ah, no school. And then long, you know, long days. It'd be 9 o'clock. And bedtime had changed because it wasn't school. And I'd be out there. And I'd just be tearing it up. You know, I don't know how they kept me fed. That I, because I was just out there. Just having the greatest time of my life. And then there would come that moment and I would hear the creaky hinges of our back screen door. And I could hear the spring on the door being pulled tight. I was like, oh no. And it was my mom. Loved her more than life itself. But I did not want to see her there. I despised the thought that that door was opening with my mom standing there because she was going to stand there and she was going to say, Jay, it's time to come in and get a bath and go to bed. Neither one of those were like really just great things to look forward to. You know, I'm having such a good time here. And, you know, Christians, we, 
we, it's, it's great if, if we're loving life, the life that God gave you. But it's not a bath and bedtime that Christ is going to bring. The one that our soul loves, when he comes, it, 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 all those things that we've clung to that we thought were so important, their importance is going to fade. Our love for them is going to fade. But don't wait until then to realize, you know, I should have loved his appearing more. Put your heart there now. Nothing in the world will compare. Lift your heart to that, to that truth and encourage one another. I hope today you saw the importance of that that we have toward one another because there will be times when our brother or sister in the Lord gets caught up too much in this world and we need to be there. To say, come, come back. Come back into that fellowship. Worship him with us. And if you want such a savior... The words spoken to you would be such as, Awake, O sleeper, and let the light of Christ shine on you. Be born again. Come to him in repentant faith. Trust in him, and and you will be saved eternally. Fight the lie. Honestly, and and many times when I'm closing, I've I've asked this question of unbelievers, should they be listening, Um, basically gets down to what has the devil ever really come through on for you? Hasn't it always just been a bait and switch? Your whole life the world has said, oh, you know, if you go after this, it's going to make you happy. When has that ever really worked? It doesn't. But there is one who promises you joy, who promises you love, who promises you eternal life. Come to him. Believe in him today. And start longing for his appearing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want you to come. And uh, it's such a hard balance at times. Lord, we do love the world that you gave us. It is with all of the sin and brokenness, it's still a pretty good place. And there are days where it just just feels so good to be alive and breathing and and enjoying this life. But, But Lord... Lift us up above that. Help us, help us to see that this, is just, that this is all just partial. At best, it's a foretaste. At best, it's just a foretaste. At worst, Lord, it's a contrast to the joy that's set before us. And help us set our hearts and our love upon you. Help us to treasure that. And Lord, help us to pull away from the love of the world and from the cares of the world. And Lord, we pray that we can be that to one another, that we can be machete-wielding Christians that are willing to take the risk and to go try and, and, and pull people out of their slumber and out of, the, out of the weeds and bring them back into the fellowship where there's joy and where there's goodness and light. We pray, Lord, that if there be one today that doesn't know you, that, that you, through your spirit and through your word, would penetrate the stony heart and, uh, and bring life that through faith in Christ today, they might leave here today saved and, uh, and looking for his coming. We ask it in his name. Amen.